0: The names and the stories in this episode have been omitted to protect the privacy of the individuals involved. This is Jocko Podcast number 37. With Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. And with us tonight, I am honored to have retired Chief Warrant Officer Roger Hayden here with us tonight as a guest. Now, unless you are in the SEAL teams, or you were in the SEAL teams, then you likely don't know who Roger Hayden is. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and guarantee you don't know who Roger Hayden is. There's no book. There's no movie. There's no social media. There's no one to Google. And I've talked before about how there's three types of guys In the SEAL teams. The guys that built the reputation that the SEAL teams has. The guys that maintain the reputation of the SEAL teams. And then there's the guys that live off the reputation of the SEAL teams. And usually those guys didn't contribute much to it in the first place. But let there be no doubt, Roger Hayden is without question. Without question. One of the people, one of the men responsible for building the reputation of the SEAL teams. He did the massive heavy lifting and laid down the foundation of everything that the SEAL teams are in the jungles of Vietnam. And he passed on lessons of combat written in blood that we carry to this day. One of the guys here, Roger Hayden, that truly forged the attitude that makes the SEAL teams what the SEAL teams are. And I'm going to tell you quickly how I first heard of Roger. So I was back, I was a new guy at SEAL Team 1. So it's 1991. And back then, no one re- SEALs weren't that popular yet. And the old SEAL UDT SEAL reunions were not that big of a deal. They're, they were just kind of a small little gig down at, down at like the Lions Club or something in national city, real low key, but the only guys none of the none of the younger seals went to him it was all Vietnam seals, maybe a couple World War two guys and I was down there I was with my my running mate at the time my my, my good friend who's at seal team one who I had gone through buzz with a guy by the name of Chris, and we were just sitting around talking to some old Vietnam guys and we were getting pretty fired up. You know, it's kind of, there's, you know, once you pay the $10 fee to get into this gig, there's free beer. So we were, we were a few beers deep, you might say, and we listened to stories. And, and again, we were new guys. This is 1991. We didn't, never been in combat. So we were there to try and learn and about the history and learn about the guys. And finally, me being young and dumb and pretty well buzzed. I asked these two Vietnam guys that we were sitting there talking to. I said, hey, who was the most badass, murdering motherfucker and SEAL in Vietnam? And both these guys looked at me and said, Roger Hayden. (laughs) And I remembered that name. And when I actually met you for the first time, You were, I'd met you a couple times, but then when I actually worked with you for the first time, you were a lane grader on a a platoon full mission profile. And that's actually the first time I learned, truly understood the, the concept of cover and move, which is a basic tactic, which guys didn't know. No one had taught it to me. This was my second platoon. I'd already been through a workup. I had the idea in my head, but hearing you say it, the way you described it, I said it clicked in my head and I never forgot it and I actually wrote about it in the book Extreme Ownership and it's what I taught to all the SEALs that when I was putting through training, that's what I taught them. One of those fundamental tactics. And so that's kind of my my introduction to Roger Hayden. So Roger, I know you've actually literally never done an interview before and I wanna thank you for coming on. It's it's a true honor to have you on the podcast. So welcome.
1: Yeah, Roger Hayden here. Thanks, Jocko. Really appreciate it. And you're one of my heroes too. Different environment, different times that you uh, kicked ass and took names too. The um <clears throat> I wasn't I was uh just one of the boys in the uh in SEAL team one when I got there and uh, deployed a couple of times with them. And uh, our environment was the jungle, and we got pretty good at it and uh, went out and hunted the bad guys. Nobody else in Vietnam, as far as I know, Army, Marines, <clears throat> or any of them would go out at night. They would usually hold up in a base camp or something like that. While well, we figured night times when they move around, that's when we're going to move around and see if we can find these guys and take them out, and that's what we did. It isn't um, <clears throat> one guy. It's a team effort. Everybody works hard. I had some great, great buddies of mine that were, uh, I mean, my gun partner was a stoner guy, and I was a 60 guy. Between the two of us, he shot 1,000 rounds a minute, Nine I had a 5-5, five, five, I mean a seven, six, two. my 60. It uh, worked out well. Last platoon I was in, we carried four 60s and five stoners. Good And Lord. if you didn't carry a stoner or a 60, you carried a 16 with a 203 on it. Or XM-148 for back in the day guys.
0: Say those numbers again of how many guys were carrying 60s and stoners? <clears throat>
1: Four of us were carrying 60s, and uh, five guys carried stoners out of a 14-man platoon. Yeah. That's what we operated in.
0: <laughs> so for those of you civilians out there that are listening, that's a lot of firepower. Yeah. That's that's a way you bring the thunder. And so where, where'd you grow up, though? Before you got in the teams, where'd you grow up?
1: Uh, basically, my roots and what I look at, my dad was a carpenter, so we moved quite a bit around, but it was a place called Ronan, Montana, by the Flathead Lake in Montana, where you have the Mission Range, and a real, real brief area. I uh, grew up green breaking horses and stuff like that, and... Uh, <clears throat> building tree houses and just uh, working on my grandpa's farm and my uncle's uh, ranch and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I grew up at. I lived a while in Phoenix, Arizona and stuff like that. And it says here in the next thing, sports. So I played football, outside linebacker. I boxed for two years in high school and I swam. My dad built, worked on the tram in Palm Springs. And when he was there, I went to Palm Springs High School. So I got on the water polo team there.
0: So, that's, that's how you got a little comfortable in the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, so at what point, what year was it when you actually decided you were going to join the Navy? That was
1: 1965.
0: And did you know, already know about the SEAL teams? Well, no. Nope.
1: Nobody knew know. about them. <clears throat> My dad, uh, like you said, he was a carpenter, but he was in um, UDT3 and... It was at swam on the Incheon Harbour in Vietnam, but I didn't I'm not Vietnam I'm Korea, but I didn't know anything about it because he never talked about it.
0: So your dad was a frog bear. Yeah.
1: But I mean that's I knew guys that knew him, older older guys. Right. I mean when I was a young guy like you said, you were when you're talking to, you know. <laughs> so anyway, but he never said much about it, but uh <clears throat> when I was a kid, you know, I watched The Bridge of the River Kwai mm-hmm. and uh The Guns in Navarone, and mm-hmm. I also seen the marines hitting beaches and the Rangers getting wiped out and they went, Okay, if you're gonna fight you wanna get in something that you think you're gonna come back with. So mm-hmm. that's why I became a frogman. And uh, we didn't go through BUDs, it was UDTRA, underwater demolition training. So And then you
0: got so you joined the Navy did did uh and you did you go straight to straight to underwater demolition training? No,
1: no. Back in the day they wanted you to have an A school.
0: Okay.
1: <clears throat> so I got out of boot camp in sixty five, went to North Island in Coronado for about seven months waiting for my radio in school mm-hmm. and was lucky enough to go to 22 weeks of radio in school <laughs> and then went from there to USS Paul Revere for about four months and then went to uh, training and I started training January 6th 1967
0: and how big was your class when you showed up to that?
1: <clears throat> there was about I don't know 200 of us maybe maybe 150
0: how many guys made it?
1: there were about 30 of us that made it, which yeah. was pretty good, and it was colder than shit. But <laughs> I, I don't know how you guys did when you went through training, Jocko, but <clears throat> we made a pact that we weren't going to let anybody quit, and we did everything we could to make that happen. So, yeah. And some guys did make it through that we shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah that that's one far. of the yeah. that's
0: one of the things I've talked about with Leif is it, yeah. you, you see that. And I was never instructor at Bud's, but eventually you say, you know, you don't want to help people through. Yeah, if they're not going to make it through on their own, you don't want them you know you gotta get guys are gonna get through it on their own yeah but you know what I mean yeah I know we got close and we just figured you know I I had a guy that was a previous fleet guy and he had been to Bud's before and I I became friends he was a second class mature guy and I thought yeah this guy I'm gonna kind of kind of follow his lead a little bit you know second night of hell week he quit I was just I was laughing I'm like here's a mature guy 27 years old you know I was a kid and he's quitting ridiculous so then you, but when you got done with the initial UDTR A, you went to uh, you checked into UDT, right?
1: Yeah, UDT twelve was really funny because um, <clears throat> me and a good friend of mine up in Flagstaff, where I joined in, we decided we we're going to be Marines, you know. So and his dad, Guadalcanal, <laughs> you name nice. it, his, his uncles, DIs, he was a Marine, but he talked me into it too. So we went up to join the Marines. Well. That office was closed, and right across the hallway was the Navy recruiter, and there was a boatswain mate of the line, you know, leaning against the, the door, and he goes, what are you boys doing? Well, we're gonna join Marines, you know, And which, you know, it's all good. Yeah. And he goes on, uh, asked the other guy, well, what's your parents' background and everything, Marines, 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 so he knew what he was going to do. He said, how about you? Well, my dad was uh, uh, in the Navy, a chief, and da-da-da. he says, come here, son. <laughs> <laughs> so my buddy went off to be a marine. I went in the navy. <laughs> that close.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we all have a story like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: I know. Really close, though. So.
0: Yeah, I had a buddy Bruce. We were it, it, we were we saw like uh, some some ship pulled in, and we saw guys in marine uniforms, and we were like, "Let's go join. Let's just go join." <laughs> That's how effective that recruiting tool is. Oh yeah. It's luckily, I luckily lunch, just a little
1: longer. It wasn't open, you know. But the marine, or the navy office is open, so. Recruiting office.
0: And so you showed up at UDT and then what was the schedule there? I mean, the Vietnam War was already on, so now it's like is it nineteen sixty six now?
1: No, I didn't got got went into UDT sixty seven. I graduated from training uh single to mile in nineteen sixty seven and that's when I went over to UDT twelve. Yeah, the war had been on. And, and so, then we had heard a little bit about SEAL team, but it still didn't nobody knew much about it. Cause we're everybody I graduated with, East Coast and West Coast. You went to a UDT team first, then you did a trip with UDT, then you came back and got the an SEAL team.
0: And how so, was that? How was that first trip with UDT? Oh,
1: it was great. I was, did a nine-month uh, trip, and we had different debts that you went to in uh, in uh, Vietnam. Like uh, first thing we did is go to Da Nang, a place called Camp Tensha, And We worked up at Phu Bay, Wei, Quang, Three Dung Ha all over the northern part of um, uh, South Vietnam, doing demo work, different things, you know what I mean? And then we left that debt and went on the USS Daishinko, and we did about 110 miles of beach recon. And then from there we went. Uh, we uh, some of us went down to a debt in the. Uh,
0: were those hydrographic constants, or were they just? Were yeah, you looking no, at the they beach? Were perpendicular, old school yeah, perpendicular. Old, th- yep, you're for, right. For
1: the- parallel, not perpendicular, but most of them were parallel. We didn't do any perpendiculars at your combat yeah. off. You know what I mean? But so,
0: so for those of you that don't know the The original job of one of the original jobs of the UDT was to find out how deep the water is off of a beach. So, uh, and,
1: and obstacles and
0: and, and and if there's any obstacles there, that could trip up a boat that's coming in. And so you said you did 110 miles of yeah, that three months. That's <clears throat> and so you basically you have to swim with a lead line. So you have a, a cord with a, with a piece of lead on the bottom of it, and you've got different markings on it to tell you how deep how long it is, and you sit there and you you swim along. and every, you,
1: every 25 meters, and you have a beach party on the beach, and it has a swimmer line going yeah. out, and we had it hooked to an IBS in case we got yeah. hit or something that IBS could turn and get us out of the rail grab onto the... Of course, it was only a 9.5-horsepower engine, <laughs> so you didn't go out very fast. If you had you'd be able it. to swim faster. But every 25 down. meters, you'd take soundings, soundings, soundings. When you got back to the Daishinko, then the cartographer, which I was lucky enough to be one, you drew up a hydrographic chart. Right. Uh, when I got to UDT-12, um, you know, you're pretty regimented, and I'll call it buds. It was UDTRA, but you're pretty right. regimented buds when we got there. Our platoons weren't even formed up, and you were kind of lost at sea, you know. I mean, nobody's really telling you what you have to do. You're not in a platoon yet, and it was kind of kind of floating, you know what I mean? You, and ha- and we how- went up and did uh, um, lifeguard stuff for the Marines when they did landings yep. up by Pendleton yep. and stuff like that. It wasn't really a lot to do. You know, we're going, Jesus, you know, played volleyball a lot and stuff, you know. <laughs> Ran around your UDTs and coral boots and, you know. <laughs> So uh, then we started forming up, and uh, how UDT worked is that they'd be home for nine months, and then the whole team would deploy and relieve the team that was out there, like we relieved UDT 11, and 11 would come back. Nine months later, they would come out and relieve us. So it was nine-month deployments and almost port and starboard. You didn't have like a year and a half, two years of workup. It was about nine
0: months nine months home with a workup and there was the workup what did you do during the workup
1: oh we did everything we did recons we did demolition raids we did uh, river recons we uh, just
0: how many guys were in a UDT platoon
1: 18 or 20. It it might have been 20. It was quite a bit because you got the swimmer line, beach party, and all that other stuff. You know what I mean? That's why we did the old art platoons. We always tried to get a couple
0: extra guys because we needed them to cover more beach. Same deal, yeah.
1: And uh, everything you did on – and we'd do uh, just – it was just a lot. You know what I mean? Uh, And it was a lot of physical work too. You know what I mean? Everything. UDT, actually, when we went through training, I think we did about – 50 times more swimming than the guys doing buds now because mm-hmm. that's what we were we were frogmen you mm-hmm. know so it was, uh,
0: yeah, that's a lot of things, if you're doing yeah. more swimming than we did in buds that's yeah. a lot of swimming <laughs> i'm glad i went through buds instead yeah. of that
1: <laughs> well the surf out there in in, in january is pretty cold. yeah there's
0: no doubt yeah. and when you were there <clears throat> you were telling me before about some of the kind of hooking on to some of the conventional units on some of their operations that they did with the, I think it was the 9th Infantry.
1: Yeah, so we were down in the Delta and uh, we were doing river recons and I think we're the only ones that ever did it with this. They called them the darts and it would look like a jet ski, but you laid on it and you guided it with your feet. (laughs) It had a, a 355 degree camera up on top and a fathometer on the bottom of it. And it had a piece of aluminum like this, of course, so you wouldn't get hit with the props and stuff. And the handles were uh, on the right and left. You know what I'm saying? And they went up to about 30 knots. What they would do is take two of us, either by chopper or something, drop us in a canal, and we'd come down that canal. Then when we got back, we'd do a, a, a chart of that of that canal, and uh, that would let the Ninth Infantry in their riverine boats. Know if they could go up there and do a lanyard or not. And that that's uh, one of the things we did. Of course, you only went down the river maybe once or twice, and you didn't go down it anymore.
0: <laughs> that was stupid. Would you care for? Would you carry like a sidearm when you're on that? Yeah, little jet we had ski a
1: forty-five thing? in the front of the cover there, and that's what we had. We had a flak jacket on a helmet, UDTs, and tied it with our feet. <laughs> would you do it at night or
0: in the daytime?
1: A daytime. You oh, do damn. It at night. <laughs> and then, you know, we'd with that 350-degree camera across uh, canals coming into, pagodas, anything that was a known thing you could find on a map would take a picture of as we went down. You tried to stay at the same speed all mm-hmm. the way down because otherwise your your chart wouldn't be good, you know. But we could we only did that, and we couldn't do it too much. So, uh, I mean, just the different rivers and different canals and stuff. So we got bored, so we started going out with the 9th Infantry. On those river boats to be their demolition guys, blow up bunkers, and sometimes they'd put log dams across the uh, river. We'd blow those up and stuff, and we, we took some heavies on that doing that. So,
0: so what kind of situations did you get in when you were when you're riding up with the 9th Infantry?
1: Well, we got caught in ambush one time. They they usually had about seven, about five, six, seven boats. They had a boat in the front called an alpha boat. It uh, looked like your old monitoring the civil war mm-hmm. and then they had um um like the landing craft mm-hmm. they had those with bar armor on the side and then they had uh, 50s up on top and back they had that all built up and they had bar armor so that if a b-40 rocket punched in they had real thick styrofoam so that it would just be channeled into one area if they hit them from the sides then they had 30s two thirties on each side each one of the landing craft type of boats that they put the troops in and right in the middle of that was what they call a monitor. And you've seen that. that was, that's over on Sism Field. Okay, that's a yep. great big boat. Yep. And then at the back, they had another alpha boat. And then all the ones in between.
0: So who was the, was it, were those Navy boats or were they Army boats? No, they're
1: Navy. There okay. Navy guys doing it. I wouldn't have that job for anything. In the world. Yeah, no. Yeah. So anyway, we was going up and a group had went up before us, dropped their people off and they came right by us as soon as we got by them. Uh, they opened up on us, and it uh, was a bad day. We had uh, 30 killed and 70 wounded Oof. Americans, yeah. And like the Alpha boat ahead of us, everybody but one guy was killed on it, and that boat was floating by and still had the American flag flying. And <clears throat> there's one guy on the back on that 30 still shooting. Damn. I mean, it was... You know, it, it still almost cracks me up when I not cracks me up and tears me up when I think about that. But it was just that's the American fighting guy, you know, that's the way we are. So, and I'll give those riverboat guys all the credit in the world on those tango boats because they're just sitting targets, you know. And then after we got hit, of course, uh, we all got we, we were in the fourth boat back and we heard number one boats hit that was the Alpha boat, number two boats hit number three boats hit. We were number four boat. There were three of us UDT guys in that boat, and I remember looking over at a guy named (laughs) going, we're fucked. (laughs) Excuse me, I shouldn't have said it. Anyway, then we got hit, blew us all down and stuff, and uh, one of my buddies uh, had about 53 pieces wrapping on him, so I crawled over to him and hit him with morphine, got up, and the Navy guy got blown off his 30, you know, so I was shooting that until I ran out of rounds and shit. Well, the other guy, um, no, that was I got hit the other guy saw B**** all messed up, so he goes over and didn't see my pin through his collar, so he hits him with another shot Ooh. of morphine. <laughs> he, he lived, though. <laughs> 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 and then me and after we, got to, we just started shooting over the sides and stuff, and the Army guys wouldn't get up and shoot. They were handing us up weapons to shoot.
0: Well, sometimes them you and s-
1: Giving them to us, and we were up there hammering down, you know.
0: Sometimes you get a frog man oh, up. Yeah.
1: Then the Cobras came in, in uh, Army Cobras, and... Hosed everything down real good.
0: So were they, were they doing like an actual landing? That's yeah. what the purpose was? And they were going to get a beach foothold and yeah. work an area for a while? And
1: work and make a sweep through there. And don't ask me why the Marines weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. Why they had the 9th Infantry. I tell you why the Marines weren't doing it was they were holding the DMZ up in the mm-hmm. north. Yeah. The Marines, that's their job. But the 9th Infantry did a good job. They are good troops. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Well, you, I know you haven't listened to this this podcast much but I know you have you have read the book that, that Leif and I wrote and you, you know that I have nothing but uh nothing but the most utter highest respect for the Marines and the Army units that we work with were just phenomenal and the the sacrifices that they made and the bravery they showed on the battlefield was unbelievable on a daily basis so I know it's definitely we, something you, you
1: think about this now <clears throat> think of the training that we went through Just for UDT to start with, and then I came back from UDT and went through SEAL Team, so you get all the, what you guys call SQT, we called it Cadre back in the day. And then you go over again, you've already had your feet in the gun. Now you figure these Army guys go through basic training, and a lot of them head right over to Vietnam, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And they could be in uh, Shaw Valley, anywhere, and where where the crap really hit hit the brick. Can you imagine that? We had... The training. We were volunteers. We volunteered for what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. We weren't just saying, "Here you go." We knew exactly where we were going to go, and we wanted to go. You yeah. know what I mean? So oh, yeah, big I difference. Absolutely know what I mean? You know, another uh, weird
0: thing about Vietnam. And I've I've talked a lot about Vietnam books from Vietnam. Yeah. Guys that, from, that were in Vietnam here, and you know the fact that these guys would rotate out. You'd be in the middle of a deployment. You just you know guys were just rotating out all the time. You know, it wasn't like what you just described. What you did in the SEAL teams and in UDT, and what we still do in the SEAL teams now is you get with your guys, you go through a workup with those guys together as a team, then you go on deployment together as a team, and you come home together as a team. And the Army guys, they would just, yeah, they're just filling in the holes, yeah, and a guy pretty, would go home, and another yeah. guy would take his place. So you never work with this. You know, <clears throat> you could have a guy on a patrol with you, two or three guys you never worked with before, and you're going out on patrol with them. So it's... uh I don't like that system. I yeah, like the way that we do it.
1: Reminds me of Forrest Gump. You know that was <laughs> a what, pretty good little thing. You know what, what happened well, the, there? The, no, the new guys that came into the platoon, and you know. With,
0: oh yeah, yeah. was checking in. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> everybody's already been there already, and they're just coming in. They hadn't worked up with these guys. Nothing. They were just showing yeah. up, you know, popping in. We
0: we actually did take a couple guys in when I was in Ramadi. We took a couple guys that just showed up, new guys, and we just had to slowly, you know, we put them put on watch. What <clears throat> did a while. you have
1: people that were? Taken out. That's why they came in. Yeah,
0: they were just guys that were filling in. We did. Oh, okay. We lost guys, but they were just guys that. Yeah. They they got sent to SEAL Team Three from SQT, and when they got there, there's no one there, so they brought them over on deployment. A couple guys, it was like two or three guys, and we just, you know, okay, here's we made them work in the compound for a while, and then maybe bring them out. They would be a turret gunner on an op, and maybe eventually get let them do yeah, a little work, bit more. Work, but, work
1: them
0: in. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. what you should do it. So. And so, <clears throat> any other any other. Vietnam
1: key stuff, yeah. So another time we were <clears throat> we used to be on the front boat, the Alpha boat, because there were the first ones that saw the log dams or and had to blow up bunkers and shit. and We had about a big stack of C four in the back, you know, the haversacks and shit, mm-hmm. you know. And <clears throat> all of a sudden the whole boat shook like this. We got a B forty rocket right in one of the um, exhaust tubes, and we started sinking. So we the, the coxswain ran it to shore and everything, and we were shooting back and everything, but the fucking boat was sinking. <laughs> and if it, that had been about another <clears throat> eight inches higher, it hit all that C4, oh. you know? But we landed, and then uh, <clears throat> we swam off and got out in the river in this other, uh, they called it a Zippo boat. It was like the troop carrier boat, okay. but it was all napalm, or not napalm, whatever they got in flamethrowers, you know. Oh, okay. Flamethrower boat. Okay. And this thing just went... <laughs> On the beach, you know, and we went and climbed up on that. And we got out of there, <laughs> Dang. us and the crewman. That was uh, that was another moment of excitement.
0: You know, it's it's <clears throat> just to go off of what you just said too, and w- with the training that you get in special operations, SEAL teams, whatever, Rangers, SF, is you know a lot of times we in special operations get. A lot of praise for doing what we do, and that, that's great and everything. But, like what you're talking about, being in a conventional unit, it's the same thing over in Iraq and Afghanistan. Being a conventional guy, it's no joke. I mean, it's in many cases they're doing a much more dangerous job. I mean, even you know, a logistics job, something like that, where they're exposing themselves on a regular basis. So, anybody out there that's a civilian that, that thinks that the conventional guys aren't doing you know, aren't taking as many risks as the special operations guys. I'm telling you right now, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. And, of course, there's things that the, that all special ops guys do that uh, step it up as well. But everybody everybody pays a price, and everybody takes a lot of risk when they go over there. And it sounds like it was the same thing when you had the 9th Infantry rolling up the river.
1: Yeah, Damn. those guys were good. They uh, did, did their jobs and if fight seem to say anything derogatory. I apologize. for Oh no, it you didn't. Those you, boys were You good. didn't at all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you didn't all. I'm just pointing out. A lot of times, again, people. I'm I'm sitting here thinking. I'm thinking exactly what you just said. Here you are, you are UDT. You've been through the, all this training, and you you know when that boat starts sinking, you're like, hey, I'm going to jump on the swim. There's regular army guys there. They're they're thinking they haven't had the training that you had, and yet they're still in the same, almost the same yeah. exact situation.
1: Exactly. So one other thing in UDT, we're doing a beach recon. And I was a cartographer, so I'm up in front with another guy, and I have this big, huge piece of plexiglass I'm doing all the backshore information on. But I'm ahead of him. We're putting in the stakes so the guys behind us can hit every 25 meters Mm -hmm. and do their soundings and stuff. Well, we didn't, usually we had Arvin, which are your uh, South Vietnamese Army, or we had Marines that would do screening for us. You know, when we were doing the beach recons, we couldn't get either one of them. So we had two of our own guys doing it. So they were walking, going behind. It was all um, a lot of sand dunes and stuff like that on the beach, you know, and trees, little forests and stuff. Well, we almost walked right into this, um <clears throat> L-shaped ambush that they had set up for us, except the two guys back here. They had a spire hole back here so that when we fell back from the ambush, if any of us were still living, these guys would get us, right? Yeah. They hit these guys, so it made them open up, which made them open up earlier than we leapfrogged down and uh, and got out of there. But that was uh, that was a few moments of excitement too, and that's when I got back to the USS Dyshenko and I went, you know, screw this uh, naked warrior shit, <laughs> <laughs> give me a sixty and cammy me up and let me go out and hunt these guys at night. I don't like running down the beach in UDTs and you know, my coral boot shooting an M79, keeping uh, heads down and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. it was a, uh, But I was just UDT then, so I didn't talk too much about it, you know. I wasn't SEAL. <laughs>
0: so you get back from that deployment. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And- Every month when I was on that deployment, me and a guy named We'd put in a chit to go to SEAL team, and they'd just chew our asses out. You ain't going anywhere until we get back, you know. All right, so we'd wait a month and put another chit in. Well, when we got back, boom, we went right to a, um, um, Cadre. Go went and checked into SEAL Team 1 and went into Cadre.
0: And the cadre training was, was what we call now SDT, SQT, SQT, yeah. S-Q-T S-T-T, SIT. Yeah. All your IEDs, yeah. Yeah. all that
1: stuff. And actually, on the Alamo River... And a few other places, they had it set up to be exactly like it would be in Vietnam with little watchtowers. And they had a whole um, uh, village that was in amongst all the shit that's on the side of the Alamo River and stuff. It was really good training. And then we'd do, they'd ambush us, we'd ambush them. They'd come down in, um, you know, sandpans we had there and stuff like that, and just like on a, you know, when you do an ambush on a river, you always want to try to do it at a curve mm-hmm. and hit them. So that way the sandpans, after you hit them and stuff, will flow into the bank, not keep on going down the river and you can't get nothing out of them. Just all kinds of little tricks. And what they did, our cadre that ran us through, the, um, <clears throat> our cadre instructors were guys that had just gotten back and they pulled them out of the platoon to do that for about six months before they went back into another platoon. So we were getting continuous guys right out of the field in Vietnam, which is real good, in different areas too. The triple canopy shit, your mangrove stuff, and you know the rice paddies and all that stuff. Like Where would on. you
0: do a bulk of the training? Oh,
1: what? out at an island. That's awesome. And then we'd go up to Cuyamaca for map and compass and stuff. And then a bunch of us went through uh, what they called SEAL advanced training, which is for your crew program, which was uh, five months long. And that was all tradecraft, medical, and stuff like that. And really, really good. Uh, got really honed in more even on the uh, IEDs and stuff like that. And booby trap trails, intel trails, all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
0: It's interesting as you talk about that, how much of that stuff you know, carried on to you. When I showed up at SEAL Team 1, you know, we did the all we did booby trap trails. You know, there was no, war. there hadn't been a war going on for twenty years when I got there. You know, in the Gulf War, but we still did booby trap trails. We did point man courses. We did the medical stuff. We did river ambushes. I mean, it's 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 awesome that that. And there was no, it wasn't really written down anywhere. That's Yeah,
1: You should have had two weeks of advanced demo and kitchen table demo and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yep. because we set all that up in SEAL Team 1. I know what you had. <laughs> should have still been going. But know? that's
0: that's awesome that it lasted that long, mm-hmm. you know, with no, because the weird thing about SEAL Team is it, we didn't used to have anything written down. I mean, no. it was barely anything written down. And so all that all that knowledge was passed word of mouth from guy to guy to guy. And that's. I think we've corrected that now, where we capture more of the stuff. Pretty
1: much, yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> you ever want to fight Rangers? Get the Ranger handbook.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's the only thing I had against that a little bit. It, it, it still should stay in-house. It should be rolled down, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't, you know, I can give you a Ranger handbook, and you can find out exactly how those guys are going to fight, what their methods are, yeah. everything.
0: And know? another thing I've talked about on here is when you have doctrine – and you get tasked with something that's not in the doctrine. Yeah. You get confused. You don't know what to do. That's one of the. That's one of the reasons I think SEAL teams have been very successful in the recent past, and even in the even in the longer past, is because we didn't have a book to look at. We had to figure out how to do it. And so, no matter what the mission is, we always had a fresh look at it. And
1: we in, adapt. We're unorthodox. We right, adapt. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, you know, our guys. If you had pulled a platoon right out of Vietnam and put them in. Uh, Ramadi or somewhere, we'd have been lost at sea because we didn't have the training for the uh, urban type of warfare. Yeah, Not, you know, I, I know
0: you wouldn't have been lost at sea. I know yeah. you would because oh, yeah. it's the same. principles are the same. The same principles <laughs> that you guys taught me was the same thing we did over there. <laughs> we'd have figured it Cover, out. Cover, move, take the high yeah, ground.
1: We, yeah, we would have figured it out, but. You know, we didn't have overwatches and stuff like that when it's uh, pitch dark at night and you're working your way through real quiet, not making a lot of noise. Everything you do is for, you know, being being silence or just like you guys never had to do things. Like if you hit a real taunt line, the point scout did, well, he'd step over it, grab the guy behind him, bring his hand down, show him where that wire was, Mm. and he'd step over the wire, he'd put his leg over it, grab the guy behind him, and that's how we got across until we got everybody across and got a head count, then we'd move on. Damn. That's just booby trap stuff. You know what I mean? We, that That's just, a, and you did it and you couldn't see. It was pitch black. That's why you grabbed the guy's hand and showed him where it was. And if it's a tight one, you don't cut it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's all loose and stuff, then yeah, cut
0: it. So <laughs> how would, the, would the, point, how'd the point man see that?
1: Uh, yeah, what they call it, we used, um, you take it, a, a, a twig, a long uh, stick. Oh, you put the real, string on real, it? Real, no, no string on it, but just like a fishing pole. Uh, and you'd run that up and down like that when we moved and you'd feel it. You can feel it just like you would if you got a trout or a bite. And then you work your hand down, you reach over there and feel and see what that is. Yeah,
0: God, A ninja. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what the other, the other interesting thing that when you started talking about SEAL Team and going out at nighttime and how that was all unorthodox and people weren't doing it is the opposite of when, when we were in Ramadi we started going out in the daytime and the reason we started going out in the day there was a bunch of reasons why we started going out in the daytime but one of the main reasons was the enemy knew that we owned the night, we had night vision we, had, you know, we, we owned the night and so they didn't want to go out at night until they went out the daytime, that's when they planted their IDs that's when they killed people That's what, and so we went out in the daytime because that's where the bad guys were out
1: well, you know, daytime in Vietnam, too, you'd see guys sleeping in hammocks and shit. We'd wrap them up because you knew they were, they'd they been out at night doing shit, so we wanted to talk to them, <clears throat> you know, just like uh, rules of engagement and shit. When we got down, uh, my last platoon, we stopped in Saigon and went to MAC-4V, and our LT got his orders, you know, and his orders were pacify the Vinh Long province. Wow. That was his orders, pacify wow. the Vinh Long province. Roger that. <laughs> And that's where we went off and did it, you know. No rules of engagement, nothing, just pacify it. And then it was like, okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's. And we
1: didn't work for the Army, Navy, Marines, or anybody. We were our own entity. So if you'd been the OT over there, Jocko, you'd have had, you'd have had the con. <laughs> we would
0: have had a good Matter time. Matter of fact,
1: they, uh, we were at Dong Tam. They had a naval base here and then the big Army base here at Dong Tam they had us stay on the Vietnamese Navy base yeah. in between them because the Navy didn't really want us on their base. Plus, our boats are right down there on the wharf, so it worked out perfect, you know what I mean? Right. And we'd go to the Army to you know, to <clears throat> test our weapons Sighting and, and shit stuff like that. Yeah, and they were doing that all the time, so it wasn't like, you know what I mean? It wasn't anything unusual, you mm-hmm. know what I mean?
0: So, so going back now, you get back from your <clears throat> first deployment with UDT, you go to the SEAL team, you show up, you're going through the training. What was the... What was the? You kind of talked to me a little bit about this before, but how were you getting treated? Because you got you got wounded on your first deployment as a UDT yeah, guy, right? Yeah. So here you are, you're a combat veteran, you've been in the shit, you've been wounded.
1: We called it a Viet Cong Achievement Medal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so you show up at SEAL Team One, you're kind of like, hey, I'm a I'm an experienced veteran, I've been through the shit, and did not mean shit. And they just the guys there, how they treat you.
1: Well, I mean. All right, just the same. I mean, I'd had a trip with UDT, but just about everybody that went into SEAL Team came out of UDT, mm-hmm. 11 or 12, into SEAL Team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Back in the day before they started bringing them right into SEAL Team, the new guys, you know? So it wasn't any different. There were guys there you just had to learn. I mean, I didn't, you know, when I was in UDT, I'll tell you, I wish I really wanted to go. Like when we were at uh, Dong Tam, that was during the 67, 68, 10 we got a call that the East Coast Platoon, the Mito, which wasn't too far away from Dongtam, was being overran. Luckily, they were up in a tall building, so they, they held out real good. They were the tallest building, and they had a 57 recoilless And you could hear the VC coming up the stairways they would throw grenades down and shit like that. And they needed some help, and there were about 17 of us down on that DART patrol on the USS Benawa, right by Dongtam. And we begged our lieutenant, God damn, let us go in there. We'd have been fucking killed. Our heart was there, but we didn't have the I- I- IED training, the no. immediate reaction. You know what I mean? None of that shit. I mean, we'd have been. It it would have been stupid. So oldish Our lieutenant said no, and we hated him. You know. Then I got back and <clears throat> went to a cadre or SQT and did all that stuff and. Then deployed. Next time I saw John Odish, I hugged him. I said, you are one smart son of a bitch, dude. <laughs> our heart was there, you know to be, I mean? But UDT, you just weren't trained to uh, operate on land. You didn't have the, uh, the pre-rescuit skills that you learn in SQT and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you get you get more of that even in Bud's now than we ever got because we were trained to be a frogman. That was mm-hmm. it. I mean, our last uh, op we did at San Camino Island, was we swimmer scouted in by birdshit rock, and I can tell you this you what I'm talking about. They gave us forty pounds of demo haversack. we went twenty-six miles down to the other end of the island, blew up a target, then come twenty-six miles back, and attacked the camp. Guys as we were patrolling they'd ambush us and they'd pick out guys that had been killed. Pretty soon we'd all fall down and they'd go, God damn it, we'll tell you who we shot. Then they'd get to go back to camp and defend it when we came back and attacked it. But it was still just a demo raid, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It wasn't anything, uh, patrolling, real good patrolling tactics and all that stuff that you learn, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, like I went out with the Australian SAS and uh, knew he did, and did a um, a a week uh, out in the field oh, it was a week or was it 2 weeks was this when you were oh, at team t- 1 or at team yeah DDT? team 1 uh, my second platoon two of us we had the aussies come down and work with us and they loved it then we went up to New Egypt me and the 60 guy we went up and went out with them we did a 10 day patrol with them resupplying all that stuff they never talked said one word that whole patrol was all hand and arm signals that's awesome and they would <laughs> they would get an lup at night everybody with their feet out and mm-hmm. you'd be laying on your pack have your weapon right next to you pull what they call the silk up and you'd go to sleep well we didn't sleep for about two nights because that's when we usually went out and work. then we started to because the way they figured it it was in a real noisy area and somebody in that circle would be awake and if we got sprung or something, then you have 360-degree firepower, and mm-hmm. we can get out of there. But they were the best I've ever seen. I've been to, I went to Army Ranger School, Raider Corp School, and everything. In that one 10-day patrol of the Australians, I learned more about reconnaissance than I did anywhere, anywhere. You
0: know? Well, you know, we used to have guys from SAS come to come to Team yeah, One. I know. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah
1: they but, did. We had that program for a long time, but. There were, uh, the last guy we had there was an officer, and he wasn't worth a shit, but some of the uh, sergeants we
0: had. Were, this, the guys that you know, th- that were there when I showed up were, were really squared away guys that definitely mm-hmm. had their field craft down.
1: Oh, they're so good. <laughs> in field. That's what I was trying to say, yeah. field craft. Yeah. We just, in UDT, you just didn't have the field craft to be out in the jungle looking for people and shit. You know, That's why in UDT 13, some of the guys got killed and stuff down trails and shit like that. They didn't, you know what I mean? Gotta kinda of have your shit together a little bit.
0: Yeah. So so you go you go through the cadre training, you check into your platoon, and it's time to go on deployment. You are you fly where are you flying out of? Flying out of North Island?
1: Yeah, we fly out of North Island and my first platoon we flew into um Cameron Bay and then took choppers down to a place called New Nam Can, which is the very southern part of South Vietnam, right by a place they called the Yumin Forest.
0: And did you do some turnover ops with the guy, with the other platoons that were there? No turnover ops. We didn't.
1: We didn't at that time. Matter of fact, most of our ops were dartboard ops. You ever heard of those? No. <laughs> that's where you put a map behind you and you choose one of the guys in the platoon and you throw a dart behind you. Wherever that dart hits is where you're going to go into. Because we didn't have intel. We didn't have shit. We were pretty isolated. We were in a Vietnamese base camp in, in BF Egypt. You know what I mean? So that's that's how we went out
0: is there what you do doing like a doing a helicopter insert or a, or a river insert all,
1: all, all river in, in and actually out of a new NAMCAN where we were we'd take sandpans out because we didn't even have any MST support or anything the guys down at Seaflow did which is a ways away from us mm-hmm. our other squad was there and finally they pulled us out of new NAMCAN because we weren't we were doing stuff but it wasn't
0: wasn't effective. It wasn't real strategically. that good, so
1: they brought us down to Seaflow. Then we started getting some good ops down there. And then
0: what were those ops like?
1: We still did riverine ops. Like we went down to a place called Square Bay, and uh, because we heard there was a prisoner war camp, and stayed down there for about three days, watching this trails, seeing if we could see them moving and stuff like that. We'd do ambushes. We'd get intel from our Navy Nilo, which still wasn't that good. Oh, one of the things in 69, that was first platoons in 69, was uh, we landed at New Namcan, got our stuff off the old 46 that landed us there and put it in the bunker. And then this little loach came in and landed. Do you know?
0: No, I don't. I know his name, but I don't know He
1: was a crew guy in that province that we were in down there. So he came in and told us, yeah, if you guys need anything, just let us know. And as soon as that lo- lo- loach left, we got mortared for about an hour and a half. So we told him never to come there again because they knew what that loach was. Yeah. He was a pru, you know, and mm-hmm. that was the pru guys, you know. Now <clears throat> yeah, he's a great guy. But, uh, yeah, and he was a pru, down long hair, you know, bearded, you know.
0: And so the, pl- the platoon setup was You had an OIC, an AOIC, a platoon chief, and an LPO, kind of like what you'd run, well, what we'd ran in. We had
1: two squads, the uh, LPO and just like what you guys did, the same one, exactly, yeah. And then we broke it down, you know what I mean? You had your, like, uh, I was with the AOIC, and the last platoon I was in was with, uh, was with, uh, was my AOIC.
0: (laughs) Really? Yeah. What year was I, that?
1: That was uh when was that? Eighty
0: nine? Damn. Yeah. Oh that's awesome.
1: But he was a uh, must have been fun. Yeah, he was a great guy. Awesome. But I'm just saying he was he was the AOIC. A O I C was the O I C Roger that. we had the uh, L P O would work with him and then I would, you know, have uh <clears throat> have the you know to kinda of guide him. I was a senior chief then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I had
2: I don't know if you knew any yeah, of those guys. I know guys. all those guys, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: They are all in my platoon. with <laughs> <clears throat> was my radio one. Yeah. Worst radio one I ever had in my life, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, you know, I went to radio school, like I told you, right? Yeah. Guess we never carried a radio on the team.
0: Really? You never carried a radio?
1: No, I was a 60 gunner. Damn. Until I made LPO, then I went to the M14. <laughs> I liked the 7.62 round.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, that's kind of the standard. When I, when I went through SQT, they, they told us, if you're not carrying a... An M fourteen, you're you're
1: wrong. Yeah. Dead oh yeah. Wrong. That's a great weapon. It's accurate. It's perfect. I loved it. Yeah. And
0: guys, even a bunch of guys in Ramadi carried the M fourteen as well. Yeah. Because they're shooting. You know, you're shooting at vehicles. You're shooting through buildings. You're shooting, and they put the the arm uh, AP rounds in there, and just oh, yeah. that way so, you got some you can you can dig through some stuff.
1: <clears throat> yeah, we did six months deployment, and I did three deployments. I did um, nineteen sixty nine. I was in uh, Kilo platoon. And then came back from that, then I actually got out for a year and a half 'cause I was married and my wife talked me into getting out, so I did. And worked for the phone company as a cable splicer. Hated everybody and everything. We lived in Coronado, so I'd go down the trade winds and all my buddies would tell me what great trips they were having and stuff and I just went you now. What we, year was that? That was um let's see, seventy, seventy one. That was when I got back in sixty nine.
0: So when you got back in '69, you got yeah. out for a year and a half.
1: Well, about a year, maybe yeah. not quite a year and a half. But I went back in and got in another platoon. Luckily, and went to Vietnam again, '70-'71. And I had guys like that in that That was a great platoon.
0: And what was that? What was that? Now were you you were an LPO that platoon? No, I was still a, You're a sixty yeah. gunner getting after yeah.
1: it. But, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And what was that? Was there any difference between that first? seal deployment to vietnam and yeah the i wasn't seal? real
1: happy with the first deployment because we just didn't do a lot i mean it was okay we did some stuff but it wasn't my idea of what it should be you know as a seal you know what i'm saying oh yeah and then it was better when i got down to sea float but it's still you know what i mean but that second platoon that's the one that kept me in the navy you know they were just uh you know we were a band of brothers you know what I mean? we were so close it was unbelievable i mean i love those guys
0: and, and the the difference in what you did was it the missions that you got tasked with? Yeah, Is basically. it the way that the that the platoon commander kind of set things up so that he had a better vision of what what to do and what to get after?
1: Absolutely, I was in my second platoon. That guy was just unbelievable. I mean, he was just a uh, really really good. Our first platoon, it was and he was kind of nuts. We didn't like him. <laughs> Like one time, we're all cleaning our weapons on sea float and everything, and what we used to do and come back from up is grab a line, then you jump in the water and let it wash all the mud off you. Well, he grabbed the line and jumped in, and we had music real loud and cleaning our weapons and shit. Well, the line wasn't tied off, right? <laughs> so he just started going down the river, but they saw him in the watchtower and said, "Man overboard!" and went and got him.
0: You know something that something that we talk about. On here, and some I've experienced is is having blue on blue situations take place, yeah, and it's it was it, a it's bad really one. hard for people to understand how it happens. But I know that you had you had one of those happen. You, you want to kind of give a quick debrief on that?
1: Yeah, we're about ready to go home. We had a new platoon come in. They wanted to do a break-in. Up, not mention any names of the officers, but they wanted to do a hammer and anvil up, which you just don't do with a brand new platoon. And uh, we'd been there, you know, we had our our stuff together pretty well in that area. But what it was was we were supposed to push these bad guys, the VC, into these guys that were in a tree line. And they inserted us at the wrong place to start with. So when we started working our way in, we kind of came up to this tree line where it ended, a rice paddy, and then there was another tree line. I I couldn't give you the—it was a halfway decent ways away, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? But well, we had three Kit Carson Scouts with us. Kit Carson Scouts <clears throat> were North Vietnamese that had um, gave uh, turned over to the South Vietnamese, and they put them in camps, and they called them uh, uh, Chu Hoi camps, basically. And what we would do is we'd go to these camps, and we would get these guys that knew our area that we we're working in, and through in an interpreter and stuff, we'd brief them and everything, and they'd come and work with us. And they'd work with us for on a couple of ops till they became kind of trusted agents. And they were pretty good. Most of them were, North, uh, not North Vietnamese, but VC, that were good fighters, you know. And then we they lived with us the whole nine yards. We paid them. We had money from uh, NAV4B. They gave us a lot of money to pay these guys and stuff. So they weren't doing it just for free, you know, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> they needed money for their families. And I don't know the atrocities that happened to their families is one of the reasons they... Chu hoyden and came to our our odd to the South Vietnamese side. Anyway, we had three of those guys coming out in front of us, black pajamas, AK-47s, looked just like VC, you know. So the brand new platoon saw three guys coming out of the tree line that were VC. So they opened up on them, mm-hmm. killed two of them and wounded the other one. We swung off to the left and laid down and they were shooting 60s and stoners at us but shit was just falling on their heads because they were shooting high like new guys generally do before you and there was pretty new brand new guys in that platoon you know they weren't experienced and shit normally you'd walk them in whatever you know so we were yelling the radio cease fire cease fire and we had uh, our officer that was with us got up on his knees to shoot back at him and got shot through the heart then we finally got him to stop and then we got him out of there he was dead though he shot right through the heart you know yeah. That was a blue and blue thing. That was pretty bad.
0: And that was right before you went home? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, the confusion was, that happens It out was there. called a
1: break-in-up. You know, and like yeah. I say, the new, the new platoon had about two guys, I think, they're LPO, I can't remember his name, and then was with me on that beach where we got shot. He was also in my training class. He was the uh, either the OAC or AOAC on that. But most of the rest of them are all brand new guys. You know what I mean? Good training and everything, but, you know, this is their first, oh, goddamn, we're in a firefight. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, anytime you get the opportunity to to slowly work into the combat situations you know do a smaller patrol do an easier patrol that's
1: what we normally did yeah you not can override your uh officers that you got you know take them out in the daytime that was a daytime op by the way but usually it's just to kind of get them oriented to the environment what yeah. they're going to be in and and then uh, we all had these uh i don't know if we had one in 69 but 70 71 we had these barn dance files and every opera we went on, we'd put a synopsis in this barn dance. So if you were going to go in that same area, mm-hmm. you could pull out that barn dance file and read it and see what the guys had seen there, enemy, what the terrain was like, uh, on and on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was pretty good, real good. And uh, almost every platoon had those from previous platoons all the way up to you. So you can kind of get an idea of what you're going into if you didn't have intel on that area.
0: What are some of the leadership? You talked about your second platoon being super tight and super close what were some of the leadership characteristics that you saw from the platoon chief and the and the platoon commander that that as you look back you, you recognize that those were really good traits that really brought everyone together
1: well was our chief he made senior chief and he'd been over about three times and it was just very easy going but very sharp and he understood things really well our lpo was gary smith sheepshit smith and he had been a pro advisor in that province. Oh, that's nice. So as far as getting intel and all of our other sides, it was perfect. And then, um, yeah, I won't say much about him, but our LT, he was outstanding. He uh, went on almost every op. In fact, one time, he'd burn his hand with a uh, smoke grenade. We we're still going to go out, and he was going to go out with us. He just had his hand wrapped up and shit. So he was over at the officer's club on the Navy side eating, and the officers are saying, your, your hand's all bandaged up and shit. You're still going out? He says, yeah, if they get by my guys, I'm dead anyway. <laughs> but he was really good. He had his, uh, he had his stuff together. He was uh, just savvy, just uh, had his head on his shoulders, figured out things, quick thinker, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just innate. He was just good.
0: You know? And how about, I mean, you know, we always obviously hear now veterans get treated great now. I mean, from the Afghan war and the Iraq war, we get treated really great by, for the most part, by America and by the public. We get treated really well compared to what you guys had to deal with in Vietnam. Well, how much of that did you see when you'd come home? Was it, I mean, Coronado is a pretty pro-Navy town. I mean in San Diego it's a pretty pro navy town. Was it the same way back then? Was it relatively pro navy or did you see some of the some of the hippies and whatnot coming on in and-
1: They had some demonstrations sometimes, you know what I mean? Like uh, downtown San Diego. Not much, and uh, we basically just hung out here in San Diego or to other bars that we knew. We'd fly out on North Island, fly in the North Island. It wasn't like we were flying in San Francisco or something, so we didn't get hit with that real real heavily, you know what I mean? And if we did have issues at a bar somewhere, we usually sk- squirted it away pretty quick, you know? So it wasn't really a problem. We we didn't really, our guys here, <clears throat> the East Coast guys, I don't know, but our guys here we we didn't really have a, have a thing. I'll tell you an op though in uh 69 we um were going up this one canal and we used the PBRs couldn't get up it. So we had to take a Boston whaler up it with a twin 60s in the front and one guy would sit and steer the steer it, you know. We would take a squad up there, maybe five guys, you know. And whatever squad didn't have the optonite, they got to be the driver and the gunner, which I got to be the driver once, and I wasn't happy. I covered myself with flak jackets. I mean, who's anybody going to shoot at? Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. So we were going up real slow up this thing, and all kinds of uh, filament lines and stuff like that that we were cutting ourselves through because it was low tide. Luckily, it wasn't high tide. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we got up there, and—, and uh, Put the guys in and we came back out and the PBR said uh, put their boats into a bank, right? So we're sitting there on the PBR me and uh, my buddy that was the gunner another SEAL and all of a sudden across this river we heard just pop 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 pop, pop. it was a sandpan So we we're gonna go after that some bitch, but one guy driving one guy in the 60 we need a guy with uh, that could see, too, you know what I mean? Because, you, you know, mm-hmm. so we asked one of the PBR guys, you know, who wants to go with us. And this whole time we'd been with them, God damn, we'd love to go out with you guys. <laughs> the only guy on that boat that volunteered was the guy that was married. Damn. The rest of them wouldn't do it. <clears throat> so uh, we jumped in the sandpan, one after the other one, hosed them down, they hit the bank, and then there was blood trails going into the, uh, killed one of them. He was laying in the boat, and the other guy had gotten out and ran. And he could see blood spots, you know, falling in. Well, we didn't go after him. We're not that stupid, you know. <laughs> Nighttime, you know, he's probably dying. Yeah, I'll take these fucker guys out with me. So anyway, we brought the the sandpan back, and goddamn, we had a whole big thing of intel and weapons and all kinds of shit. And the other guys, then we went up and got the other guys, brought them out. They didn't do a thing, you know. It was pretty neat. <laughs> <clears throat>
0: That's sketchy. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine the uh, the that you guys would just hit, go by these filament wires and step over these trip wires and just continue on your mission. That's sketchy.
1: You have to. <clears> that's <throat> what you. Yeah, you that's know, what we did. Anyway, so I wasn't on this op, but it was a uh, and a couple other guys from the other squad went down to Square Bay, and uh, we'd gotten this intel that this sand pen, pretty good sized one. Um, almost like a junk, would go up the river at nighttime up the main river where Seaflow was up by that way, you know. So George and those guys were down there there again. Were in a Boston whaler. They had a couple um, um, law rockets with them and stuff like that, you know. So they figure, well, shit, we haven't really. It's been a dry hole here. Away at that goddamn um, <clears throat> the junk when it comes by, you know. So they go out after the junk and they could hear it and then see the silhouette of it you know so they got real close to it and fires a <laughs> fires a, a, a law rocket and hit hit the stern not the exact rudder and everything then popped a flare so they could shoot and everything well after they popped their flare about 15 other flares popped and it wasn't they're us. us. So behind them was all this little flotilla of sandpans and shit. And oh. so they took off and were shooting back with their stoner and 60 and stuff like that. Finally, they called and then a couple of PBRs came down and saved them. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty good op. <laughs>
0: Um, that's, that's just so, uh, that's one of the major differences, you know, with us having night vision now, yeah, the oh, whole yeah. way that you guys had to utilize illumination. And we did, we did utilize illumination from time to time. We, we actually, uh, on big, big operations, sometimes we'd have the army firing or the army artillery would be firing illumination in certain situations, but generally we weren't doing that.
1: Yeah. in ambushes, we always fired a flare up, you yeah. know, to get good vision. You get what we had, then we got out of there. You know yeah. what I mean? put a claymores out and claymores behind us you know me everything set, waiting for dudes to come down the river and then we'd hit them you know
0: (laughs) and then so you get you get back from from your second tour in vietnam and is that the war ended right i mean this is pretty much pretty much that was it In
1: fact uh platoon that was at ben luck which was 40 miles away from us. they were only over there for three months and they came back too so we were the last full deployed deploy, deployed platoon in Vietnam. Uh, that was November platoon. Uh, was our chief, uh, like you said, just bunch of great guys in the platoon. And, and, and
0: I mean, at that time, there was a couple hundred guys at SEAL Team One.
1: I think there was about maybe it had boosted it up real high, so there might have been two hundred and fifty. 300. Mm-hmm. I think there was only about 150 when I got you in there. Got I don't there. know if the big push had started yet to build more guys up. There wasn't a lot. You knew everybody. I mean, it was a pretty tight,
0: tight group. And one of the, one guy uh, that we both know, he he told me when he checked in SEAL Team One back then, he was like taking a shower after PT, and like every guy was shot up. Like you could just see what, every guy was you know you could see scars in their arm, leg, wounded. Did you did you? Were a lot of guys staying in at that time? Were a lot of guys doing a couple platoons, getting out? I think
1: after the... No, most of the guys stayed in. That's what we did. That's what we loved. And then after the war, yeah, we had a pretty good uh, exodus of people getting out.
0: And were they getting out, because... There wasn't nothing to do. Nothing to
1: do. That's what they were doing. That was their, you know, nothing else. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? And uh, I stayed in because I just liked the guys. I liked what we did, you know? And uh, like when I was over at Bud's, I come back in seventy. 71 and then i went over to buds as an instructor and i got bored doing that so there's this guy called uh, i'll tell you
0: i would not want to be a, a a student when you are bored as a buds instructor i no, bet you I, mean.
1: was, I was a nice guy there but anyway so okay. um it was buddy Dahl was in udt he's a little bitty guy from colorado and he was a rodeo rider right so he talks me into going out this place called burton's which is out by um wasn't Lakeside; it was uh, Lemon Valley mm-hmm. or um, Lemon Grove. Lemon Grove, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a place called Burton's out there, and it was just all bulls. But they were dinks; they weren't real. Your rodeo bulls, you know. So I went out there, and hell, I liked it, and never got bucked off there. So I went rodeo and went uh, IRA, then PRCA. No and actually thought about getting out of the Navy to ride rodeo because I loved it. But then I got bored because rodeos. Bulls, I rode bowls. They were the last of the event, right? Yeah. So I started riding bareback and saddle bronc too. But the um, I got stepped on. Well, I got 22 stitches in my left side of my face, 14 in the back of my head, had both my shoulders dislocated. What else? Got gored, and then I got stepped on and had five busted ribs and punctured lungs, so I figured, okay, that's enough. <laughs> So I quit doing that and just aiding the teams, you know.
0: <laughs> the teams were safer than rodeo Yeah, well, riding. that
1: was over, over a year and a half, almost two years, so yeah. it wasn't bad.
0: Yeah. And what about, what about guys? I mean, how were guys doing as far as handling what they'd seen and coming back, and all of a sudden they're hey, in Main Street?
1: Dude, we didn't have that problem. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, the guys that were crazy were crazy before they went over. <laughs> I, I mean, often they say that. They weren't uh, – uh, <laughs> I mean, I know all my buddies. In fact, uh, Thursday this Thursday night we'll have that uh, UDT Vietnam UDT SEAL get together on Thursday night. Talk to those guys. You, you don't see anybody going. You know, I've got to go to the hospital. I'm mentally ill. Not that I know of. I tell mm-hmm. you, there may maybe it did happen. But the only guy I know that really got affected was he was with that one platoon. I can't think they've been uh, and they were taking apart a mortar, and the mortar blew up. And he had just left to have a cigarette mm. and all of his buddies got killed by that mortar and stuff, including a guy named, who was just a superb guy. And he wasn't quite the same after that. And I can understand that. I mean, that, you know what I mean? But uh, just being the firefights and shit like that and stuff that happened, nobody, uh, you know, we just, it was the
0: way it was, you know? And even when you, even when you got out for the first, so, so then you did, you did 30 years yeah. in the Navy. And uh you know that' was another funny thing when you when i talked about earlier when you when you graded our you lane graded me for the first time i don't know how old you were it was 1993 maybe ninety what platoon were you in? i was in uh uh alpha tune at team one with uh yeah that
1: yeah, 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 yeah. was a good
0: off <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you were i don't know how old you were in that time period, but you know I, for from my perspective you were like 170 years old, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, hey, this guy's, you know, this is this, Roger Aiden. And you were like putting on your wetsuit. Oh, okay. put on the wetsuit. I guess you're going to get in the water. Gets in the water. Swim in. Do the yeah, recon. I, I
1: swam in with him, do yeah. the recon, and then I swam back swam out. Swam back too.
0: out, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's that was, that's uh, what
1: you have to do. If you're going to do OREs, you got to do them right. You don't yeah. go point A to point B, <laughs> otherwise you don't see everything, you know. And that's what I liked. That was a warrant then, but that's what I liked my last... Three or four years, three years, I think, in the uh, in the teams as I did ORE. Mm-hmm. So you still got to have your feet on the ground with the boys, you know. You couldn't be in a platoon, which sucked, but that's the way it was. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing better than uh, there's nothing better than the uh, than the platoon life. Now, I, I know that I know that you're short on time, and I and I I rush this, and uh, I'm glad we were able to get a little bit done. And I think maybe after after this one, and we get to listen to it, and and I'll probably end up with a bunch more questions. I know people that are listening to this, a bunch of team guys listen to this. They 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 actually a bunch of team guys sent me a bunch of questions. I didn't get to any of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah, I know it's it. I'm sorry. And no, it's all it's good. It's just things that pop up in your head when you talk about them. You know, I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, I was a, I was a frogman first, and then yep. seal. You know, so yeah. there's that, that was probably one of the best deployments I ever had. That was great and. Philippines is great and we were so glad to leave the Philippines and go back to a death just to get out of for a while we would have died you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh I will definitely get you back on here and and like I said next time I'll, I'll I'll get some questions from the team guys that that they asked me to ask you and and go through some of those but man thanks for coming on I know like I said I know you've never Never been out in the public eye before, and that's just the, the epitome of a quiet professional that, that we were all raised on, and I appreciate it. Like I said, you're a hero of mine, you're a hero of the SEAL teams, and you're really a hero to everybody in this, in this country. And if anybody out there wants to continue this conversation, you can, you can get Echo Charles and I on the social media. Echo is at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. We're on all the different social media, Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, Echo Charles, how can they do it?
2: If you want some supplements, the kind that work, obviously, um, Onnit has the best ones. So you go to onitcom slash Jocko, you get 10% off, boom. That's one way. Also, before you do your Amazon shopping, of course, go to one of the websites, right? Jocko store or jockopodcast.com. Click through the Amazon link there before you do your shopping. Or to make that part easier, we have this, the Trooper tool. It's just this little extension thing you can put on your browser. You get that on any of the websites as well. You just click on it. It's called uh, the Jocko store trooper tool chrome extension just click on that confirm it's on there it'll automatically do it for you so so you don't have to remember it's good um also if you like the shirts that we have boom that's the one discipline equals freedom is a good one um but yeah get some of those that's how you can support
0: awesome and uh you can get the book that leif babin and i wrote that actually Roger did the security clearance on. <laughs> he did sec- I just
1: reviewed it for, uh, you know, FOIA thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. No big thing. But uh, one thing I will say, you know, and I don't think I'm a hero. I just went over and then did my job, had a lot of fun, and some the great guys. You know, that's about it.
0: Well, that's <laughs> one of the things that makes you a hero. And yeah. thanks thanks for coming on the show. And, and also, if you don't know, we're, we're having a little uh, – Little conference out here in San Diego, California, October 20th and 21st is not going to be for everybody. But if you want to get in the game, if you want to do something that's going to be intense to focus, you are going to talk about leadership, we're going to talk about getting better at what we do. Come on out. The muster. October 20th and 21st. Roger, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for everything you did serving this country in Vietnam and spending the rest of your life. Supporting the SEAL teams dedicated to our country. And like I said, Roger is kind of an unknown veteran. And I would like to take a moment to thank all the Vietnam veterans that fought with courage and with honor in a hard war, in an unpopular war and not only fought for freedom against the evils of communism but also established and passed on lessons learned for the current generation of war fighters we owe all of you a great debt of gratitude for what you did for us and for the United States of America and everyone else out there thanks for listening thanks for spreading the word And as you go through life, remember the sacrifice of these veterans that fought and sacrificed for us so that we can live with the sacred freedom to go out into the world and get after it. So until next time, this is Echo and Jocko and this true hero. Warrant Officer, Chief Warrant Officer, SEAL, retired, Roger Hayden, out.